Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Thank you so very much, Kelly, and thank you, everybody. You've all taken your seats. That's great. Charles, thank you so much. (laughs) You are extraordinarily talented and very, very anointed. And I thank God that we share that we're both West African. Come on. And I was, I was born in Nigeria, West Africa. Um, and uh, now, I'm going to go to house. How do you Babu house. Say Yoruba. Edo, that's right, Edo. <laughs> Honestly, I think the world would be so less confused, myself included, if I actually wasn't a black man trapped in this white skin. I've always wondered, Lord, why did you mess up with me? I'm supposed to be black. I'm supposed to be dark chocolate. And you've given me this pinky gray kind of look. What's going on, Lord, you know? Because when you're born in, in Nigeria and all your friends are Nigerian, you, you stand out if you look like me. But I thank God that he made me me. And I thank God that he made Charles Charles. And I'm Nigerian and he's Liberian and I'm a white man and he's a black man. Well, we're both shades of different white and black. And he did it deliberately. He's not colorblind, everybody. Not trying to ignore your race. He's been celebrating your race since before time began. He made my friend William to be the most handsome black man that I've seen. Because he's... He's one of the most amazing dads that I know. And he looks just like his heavenly daddy. And I watch how he loves his kids and his grandkids. And I watch how he loves people on the prayer ministry. And I've just watched him for years and years. And I see something of my heavenly father that I just can't see in myself. But I see it in William. And I see it in him because he's created in the image of God and of a dimension that I'm not created in that same exact dimension. Why? Because the way God created me is God's love gift to the world. And the way God created William is God's love gift to the world. And we need to stop looking at each other's differences and and disqualifying each other on account of our differences and recognize that the person who's different to you is God's love gift to you. Just think about how poor you are that you've not recognized that. And imagine how rich you would be if all of a sudden you quit looking for yourself in everybody else. And just imagine how rich you would be and how less blind you would be if you began to look for Jesus in every human being, including the one that you see in the mirror. Because the problem with looking at everybody else 
and defining yourself and them according to the worth that you see in them and yourself outside of God I'm talking about. The problem with that is that you miss the richness of the multifaceted God of creation who will never repeat a snowflake. Why would he make someone else look like you? And disguise his image and tarnish his reputation for eternity as the creator. Oh man. Mm. I'm excited that when I look around in this church, all y'all look completely different to me. I know that some of you have been thinking, man, I wish that pastor would just get his haircut. He would get sorted out if he would get his haircut. Our differences, it's what makes us all special. And like Jess said, God is not a God who looks at unity as conformity. He looks at unity as celebrated diversity. And when I look out across this family, I see the family of God. When Kate and I first planted this church, we started public meetings way back in September, on September 21, 20 or 22, I forget, September 21 or 22 or something like that, 2008, and we started public meetings, and uh, we moved out of our church, Joanne right there, Ned, who's on the drums, they were our first members of the church, we met in our living room, and Rosie and everyone just, we just all went off, and we, we were way more successful than we ever should have been. Honestly, the fact that we're still here is an absolute testament of the grace of God. But when we first started, I remember about three weeks in, you know, we came from Toronto. It's the most ethnically diverse population group on planet Earth. 50% of everybody that drives past you when you're driving on a freeway in the middle of the city, 50% were not born in Canada. That means that 50%, every other car that drives past you is somebody who's become Canadian or is becoming Canadian but was not born in Canada. People like Kate and I, you know. Except now, here we are doing it all again in America. And we're, we're proud to be citizens of the United States of America. And, uh, but the thing is, is that, you know, we, we looked at each other and we we're like, love, what is it that's wrong about our church family that we've started here? And Kate's like, I don't know. And then we suddenly realized, I know what it is. Everybody's white. That's wrong. That's not what the family of God looks like. And we just decided, oh God, with all of our hearts. We didn't realize that that's how it kind of is around here. That, you know, segregation is most alive on Sunday mornings. Still, all over the United States of America. I didn't realize that if you're Chinese, you go to church with Chinese people. I didn't realize that if you're Korean, you go to church with Koreans in America. I didn't realize that if you're African-American, you go with African-Americans. I didn't realize that if you're from West Africa or South Africa or East Africa, you go with the West Africans, East Africans or South Africans. I didn't know that if you were white Southern, you went to white Southern people to church. I didn't know that. If I had it done, I would have understood why God brought me here. Because that doesn't look like the kingdom. 
That's not the bride of Christ. And we just started to pray. We just started to say, God, uh, there's something wrong with our church and we're really sorry for that. And I don't know why, but there's just no one who, who from another race. And we're not used to that. So would you change that? Unbeknown to us, that very same Sunday, an amazing man by the name of Joshua, or otherwise known as Emeka from Nigeria, was in a church of 2,000 people who were all African-American or African. And he's standing there in this church that he's always loved. And all of a sudden he had this thought. I don't think the kingdom of heaven looks like this. I think the family of God is supposed to look different. And everyone's supposed to be different. And he heard the Holy Spirit said, that's right, I'd like you to go and find a church where people look different to you. Well, he just happened to tune into a service online and he saw this English guy with an English accent saying that he, on, on CBN, saying that he was about to start or had just started a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he thought, what? I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. And he heard it was called Catch the Fire. And he thought, what? I want to catch that fire. And he just thought, I want the Holy Spirit. And so he decided to show up and he did a very, very brave thing. He went to a white church, rather Caucasian, because the angels are white. We're clearly not white. And he, the person on the door, okay, was a friend of mine, come from Canada, and he's six foot five, nearly six foot six, and he's really large and strong like Charles. And, and he's like, as he walks up, he's like, welcome! And gives him a massive bear hug. And Emeka's not exactly small himself. And Joshua's like, because for the first time in his, his life, he was hugged by someone from a different race. It terrified him. And he thought, God, I can't do this. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, come on in. So he kind of survived the bear hug. Walked in took one look at the 130 people that were there, saw that there was no one who looked like him, and thought, I've made a big mistake. I'm out of here. And the Holy Spirit said, it's okay. Just stay. You know why? Because he was God's answer to our prayer. And our prayer wasn't he. We were not even smart enough to pray that prayer. The Holy Spirit put it in our hearts. He opened our eyes. And so in that moment... He decides to stay. He makes it through the worship, which was not at all like what he was used to. By the way, I love our worship here, but I really would love it shaken up with some African-American, African, Asian rhythms. Please, if you don't look like me, would you please audition? Would you please be brave so we can actually start to look like the kingdom of heaven up here as well. 
And stop trying to wait for the person next to you to go do that. Be brave and do it yourself like Emeka did. And he made it through the sermon. And at the end of the sermon, this girl that was born blonde and has never had the bottle on her head, absolute vodka or any other bottle like bleach on her head to turn her hair blonde. She was born blonde. She's always been blonde. She's still blonde, our eldest daughter right here. She's the only one in our family born blonde and stayed blonde. She's what all the blonde haired people would love to be. And this blonde-haired, greeny-blue-eyed, beautiful girl goes running up to someone who finally looked right. What she was used to, because she grew up in the Toronto church. She didn't know anything else. We hadn't even talked to her about what we thought. She just knew in her heart that it wasn't right. And she was the first to welcome him as soon as the preacher was done. And she said, hi, I'm Jess. Where are you from? He said, I'm from Nigeria. Yeah, because I have a white, a black man accent, even when I speak English in the name of Jesus. I'm a Nigerian man, oh. I tell you, oh. If you don't believe me, you declare. I eat jollof rice, pounded yam, a goosey soup, and all of it. Is my fufu. And so she says, Hi, I'm Jess. He says, eh, I'm Joshua. Nice to meet you, Joshua. Where are you from? I'm from Nigeria. Really? My dad's from Nigeria. She's 14. She's always known I'm from Nigeria. He took one look at her. He thought in his heart, you declares. Before he could say anything, she said, come meet him. And she took him and he saw me for the first time because I wasn't preaching that morning. And he nearly jumped out of his skin. And he realized that's the guy. And I introduced myself to him. Sure enough, I was born in Nigeria and he, he relaxed instantly. And the Holy Spirit said, see? And he said, okay, Lord, I'll stay. And because he stayed, our church is multi-ethnic, wonderfully diverse. And because you've stayed, and because you've stayed, we're wonderfully diverse, multi-ethnic, and it's about to get really, really out of control and really big. And if you don't like it, Get out as fast as you can and go find a church that looks like you. Or you can have an exciting life and be in a church that doesn't look remotely like you and love it with all your heart. Oh man, that was the longest introduction. And my mum and dad have told me, you know, you, you, you're such a good preacher apart from one thing. We never get to hear your message because your introductions are so long. The title of my message is In His Image, continuing the series that as Jess and Aaron started so brilliantly, and uh, really Aaron started last week, 
um, but just, just touched on it. In his image, and today my title is Broken Reflections, Broken Worth. Broken Reflections, Broken Worth. And I want you to turn with me, please. We're going to just turn straight to Genesis chapter 4. But as, I, as you turn to that, uh, I just want to read this in Hebrews 11, verse 4, by way of introduction and context. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the kingdom and most especially to the king? Would you open our eyes to infinite worth? And would you redefine in every way where we derive our worth from? And change us forever in your love. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to the world through this church family. I thank God that not one of us is your complete image, but together we're the image of God. The fullness of the one who dwells in all in all. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he, being dead, still speaks. In the book of Genesis, first two chapters describes everything that God created, including us, and says at the end of each each moment of creation, each day of creation, God saw that it was good. It was good because goodness created it. And therefore, because goodness created it, it was inherently good. But it says that God saw that it was good. And so although because it was created by God, the creator, it was inherently good. It was actually the fact that God bestowed his worth onto it that truly made it good. It was because God saw that it was good and God said that it was good. Therefore, it was good. And when he created Adam and when he created his wife, he saw that they were very good. Sadly, as we know, despite the fact that God had said you can eat of all the trees in the garden, including the other tree that was in the middle of the garden, the tree of life, he never said you couldn't eat of that. In fact, he fully intended that we eat that. But sadly, they didn't eat of that. They ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said, you shall not eat of that because in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. God said, don't eat that because God didn't want you to die. That's, that's called love. God's not a killjoy. God is love. When God says, don't do something, it's motivated from love. It's because he's good and you don't know what good looks like. You have no clue. You never have done. Even now, you and I have no clue what is good and what is evil because we have been eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's the wrong tree. You see, God is goodness. He's the person 
of goodness. God is good. He is not good by what he does, although he is good by what he does. And in fact, Psalm 119 verse 68, the psalmist says, you are good and you do good. Therefore, I'll obey your commands. You see, when you know that God is good, you know that all his motives are good. Therefore, you can trust that his commands are for your good. But if you don't know God, then you are easily open to the other father, the father of lies, who's not a real father at all. And instead of listening to the father of lights, you listen to the father of lies, as my friend Carlos opened my eyes to that. And so here they are, they eat of the wrong fruit. And the moment they eat of the wrong fruit, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that their eyes were opened. And they saw that they were naked. Ah, what in the world is that? Right there dangling. I don't like it. And he's like, ah, I saw that look. What do you mean you don't like it? You've always liked it. And shame fills their hearts, something they were never created for because they were created by goodness himself. And suddenly, instead of looking at him and defining their worth because their eyes were on the one who's infinite worth, they suddenly had their eyes on themselves and began to define what worth is deriving worth not from the one whose infinite worth who created them with his worth in his image but instead they start to frack they immediately were fractured they lost sight of him how do we know because they heard his voice in the cool of the day they never saw him like they had before they were blind to his existence now all they could do was hear him but they couldn't see him like they always had they lost sight of him and the moment they lost sight of him they lost their definition of worth And they could no longer see worth himself. And immediately they became instantly broken in their worth because they started to look for the worth, their worth, their justification, their self-existence within themselves. And all they could see was brokenness, 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 unworthiness, unworthiness, unworthiness. And the problem with unworthiness is you self-reject immediately. And when you self-reject, the next thing happens to you, you feel abandoned. And when you get abandoned, now all of a sudden, you have the worst possible human experience. Something that you were never created to experience. Because you were created in belonging. And you were created by the creator who you belong to. And because you were created by belonging for belonging... Abandonment is your absolute worst experience. It's something that you've avoided all your whole life. You spend your entire life. You have all kinds of cognitive, subconscious abilities to make sure that you are never, ever experiencing abandonment. To make sure that you are never, ever rejected. Because you fundamentally believe that you're unworthy. And because you fundamentally believe you're unworthy, you're filled with shame. And because you're filled with shame, you're terrified that everybody will find out the truth about you. So you hide. And then you control your world. Thank you, Chester and Betsy, for helping me to understand this. Chester and Betsy, members of Catch the Fire and also founders of Restoring the Foundations, RTF. And they taught Kate and I. They helped us to understand what really happened right there. 
in Genesis 3, 7 through to roughly 11. That the fundamental, that moment caused a fundamental thing that humans have been struggling with any, ever since. They were filled with shame. Therefore, they were filled with fear. And because they were filled with fear, they tried to control their world, which in this case was hiding fig leaves for heaven's sakes. One puff of wind and a fig leaf scarn. Gee whiz, wasn't exactly that spectacular. The first technology, man's first technology, a fig leaf. It's the first time man created anything that, as far as we're concerned. It says they made themselves fig leaves. Wow. Sheesh. Thank God God says don't despise this day of small beginnings. The angels are like, what in the world are they doing? Anyway, I don't want to dwell on this because this is all things that are deeply fundamental, but I want to open your eyes a little bit further, okay, to the next thing that happens. So here we have Adam and his wife, who was called Ishar, and he was called Adam, Ish, husband, and Ishar, out of husband, wife. She was defined out of Ish. Suddenly now there's separation, and Adam defines her, calls her Eve. You're no longer Ishar. You're no longer out of me. I don't even want to associate with you. It's your fault. We're out of the garden, thanks to you. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? It wasn't me. It's that snake. See, that's exactly what they said to God, wasn't it? You see, because shame, fear, control leads to blame. And you've been blaming everybody in your life for every single thing that's ever wrong with you because you don't want to be wrong because you know if you're wrong, you're unworthy and you'll be rejected and then you'll feel abandoned. So you never, ever, ever want to be abandoned. So you never, ever want to be rejected. So you always, always, always want to present the super me to cover up the mini me because the mini me is so awful. You don't want anyone to find out. You don't want your husband to know. You don't want your wife to know. You don't want your kids to know. You are fundamentally inadequate, wrong and stupid and and all the rest of it. And so because of that, you have to cover it up with the most amazing you. And the best way to cover up the most amazing you is to cover all of them in everything that you think is awful about you and you project it onto them. And you blame them. That's exactly what they did. Again, we don't have time to go into it, but I want you to go into something right now that the Lord took, took me into. Chapter 4, verse 1. See, the Lord spoke to me from, he reminded me of Matthew 3.38. In the, sorry, excuse me, Luke 3.38, in the genealogy of Jesus. And it goes through all the generations, 14 generations of each stage. And it comes all the way to Seth. And there's so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, all the way down, thousands of years, comes to Seth. And then it comes to Adam. Seth, the son of so-and-so. Seth, the son of Adam. Then it says this. You ready for this? Adam, the son of God. And all of a sudden, my eyes just opened this week on a whole nother level. And I realized, oh my goodness, the biggest fracture, the biggest broken relationship was right there with family. Adam. 
never knew he was the son of God. And because he never knew that he was God's son, he was a terrible dad. See, because if you don't know that you're a son, you'll never be a good dad. And you see, you can't be a son and self-define. That's the whole point of family. You don't decide to become a dad and be a dad unless you have a son or a daughter. It's the presence of your son and daughter that defines you. And so right in the eternal trinity themselves is is an absence of self-definition, an absence of self-defined worth. In the Trinity, the worth within the Trinity comes from knowing whose you are. The Son defines his worth by the fact that he has a dad. My daddy. And because for eternity, Jesus has been the Son and knows that he has a Father and knows the Father and lives for the Father and is defined by the Father and knows that the Father has infinite worth, he knows he's a Son. And the Father himself, all of his worth, all that defines him comes from the fact that he has an eternal son. In fact, the only reason God could create Adam and call him the son of God is because he already had an eternal son. Otherwise, he would have changed and God can't change. That's Malachi 3, 6. I'm God and I change not. God didn't become a father when he created Adam as a son. God was already a father, a father of an eternal son. God was already a son, the son of eternal father. And so here we have this moment where Adam could have listened to the voice of God, but he lost sight of God and he never knew that he was a son. He could have heard the voice of his father saying, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You look just like my son, my eternal son, Jesus. But he didn't. He self-defined. I'm just a, I'm just a created. I was made of mud. I'm just an idiot. I ate the wrong fruit. Now I'm out of the garden and I've got this crazy, stupid wife that just led me all astray in the first place. It's all her fault. Man, she sure does look good. Wow. And the Bible tells us In chapter 4, verse 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. That means they made love, except probably wasn't love, actually. And it says that she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Notice she doesn't say, I now have a son. And so Cain, from the very beginning, didn't realize that he was a son. Why not? Because his dad didn't know he was a son. And because his dad didn't know he was a son, his dad had broken relationship with the one who defined him. And instead of being allowing the father to define him as a son, he self-defined himself. I'm a man. And so when he created, when he had made love to his wife, his wife now self-defines and his wife turns around and says, behold, a man, not a son, just a man. There's already brokenness right there. 
And then she bore again, but this time his brother Abel. Sorry, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. That means he was a shepherd, everybody. Shepherds have to tenderly, lovingly care for their sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. I want you to see right here that Cain was the very first human being recorded ever to want to give something to God. Cain had the idea before his brother Abel. I'm going to give God something. And so he gave God something. But let's read on. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock. He's following in his brother's example and footsteps, except differently, as we'll see. And he also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. In other words, he brought the very best he had. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, fasten your seatbelts off everybody, and his countenance, his face fell. And instead of looking into the eyes of God and allowing God to define his worth by the reality that God is infinite worth, Cain became angry because what he wanted to define his worth by was his gift. So that God would have to like him. So that his gift would be better than his dad's gifts. So that his gift would be better than his brother's gift. So that his gift would impress God. So that God would finally like him. Sounds a lot like religion. Sounds a lot like what you and I sound like when we want to impress God with how much we pray 24-7. With how much we worship 24-7. With how much we read our Bibles and how much we give to the poor and how much we, we love people around us. Because it's all about me. Oh yeah. And how can you tell it's all about me? Because I reject everybody that begins to look and feel better than me, immediately. I will reject you so quick, I'll even kill you. Because you make me feel bad. Because you look so good. And I can't stand that goodness. Because I'm not being defined by goodness himself. I'm being defined by my version of goodness from my tree of good and evil. Are you getting it, everybody? It's been going on for 6,000 years. Still going on right now in your life and mine. It's where the battle lies. If you do well, verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted, God says. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. I just want to take a moment and just thank Justin for coming up to me in between services and saying, Duncan... When you said that about his countenance fell, I realized he took his eyes off the one who defined his worth. He already had his eyes off that because he already wanted to justify his worth by his offering. 
And he was so determined with that that he couldn't see. This is what Justin told me. It occurred to him right there in the message. He couldn't see that the one who truly defines him in infinite worth loved him because he's standing right there next to him. And so he's like, you rejected my gift. I hate you. You're just like my dad. He's rejected me my whole life. You're just like my mom. She's rejected me my whole life. I hate you. Get away from me. You see, that's what sin does, everybody. It breaks relationship so badly, you don't want anyone around you, most especially God. And even though he is with you, you never see him. You don't even know him. Because you're so determined, we're so determined to self-justify, to self-righteousness ourselves, that we don't realize all of our righteousness comes from him. And the fact that he's with us, we have his righteousness. The fact that he wants to dwell in us through Jesus Christ, we have his righteousness now dwelling on the inside. And sometimes if we've become born again so that we can just go to heaven, we're still in the spirit of Cain. We're born again, we're saved, we're going to heaven, we're going to spend eternity with God because God's that good. But while we're on this earth, we still think and behave just like Cain. No one's like me. No one's as good as me. I can't stand my roommate. I can't stand my brother. I can't stand my wife. I can't stand my church. I can't stand my pastors. I can't stand that race. I can't stand that politician. I hate that president. And you and I don't remotely sound like Jesus. We just look and sound like Cain. And I don't know about you, but I'd like the spirit of Cain to be forever removed from our community in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want in this church community that one who speaks an even better word than the blood of Abel, that's Hebrews 12, 24, Jesus himself, who's even better than Abel. I want him to be the one the world tastes and feels and sees and hears through you and I. Amen? Through our marriages, through our families, through the way we work, through the way we serve our bosses, through the way we serve our, our employees, through the, war, the way we walk in humility instead of pride and so on and so forth. For the fact that we actually take time to come and get with a godly counselor and tell them that we have a pornography and masturbation problem and tell them that we have a problem with overspending on our credit card and our wife or husband doesn't know it and tell them that we have a problem with serious selfish ambition and actually come and stop hiding ourselves instead be willing to come into the light and be transparent and live the kind of life that Charles so brilliantly put together in that spoken word. And live in freedom. Thank God for our freedom, T. Thank, thank God, Erica. Thank God for Erica James, who's led our freedom team. Thank God for Rochelle leading our prayer ministry team. Thank God for the Kilstras who gave us RTF. Thank God for the Sanfords who gave us Elijah House. Thank God for all the prayer ministry that's godly in the world. Because God wants to transform you and I 
away from the mentality of Cain and through the mentality of Abel into the mentality of Jesus. See, because Abel offered a better gift to God, but Jesus is the gift of God. So, I want to end with this. When we allow our worth to be truly derived from the creator who is infinite worth, instead of being self-defining in our worth, instead of self-deriving our worth, where we become so open to the enemy's lies, when the enemy points his accusing finger at us, when we are looking at the one who's infinite worth, we can say, you know what, enemy, you're absolutely right. I am a complete dummy. But Jesus isn't. And he defines me. And he defined me worthy by giving his blood. So he's worthy. And that makes me worthy in him. And I'm worthy in his blood. So get thee behind me, Satan. I'm going forward in the worth of Jesus. And by the way, I don't need any longer to look at everybody else and point their faults out as though somehow that makes me look better and feel better when really it just makes me deeply rotten on the inside. I can spend my life seeing Jesus in every human being that I see and celebrating the Jesus seeing Mike and Jessica celebrating the fact that they're different to me and realizing they bring something of Jesus to me that I didn't know until I met them. Come on, everybody. Shikabanga. Let's stop thinking that our gift is what defines us. Our gift is not what defines us. The gift himself, Jesus, and the giver of every good and perfect gift is what defines us. And when we stop self-defining, and when we stop self-deriving worth, and we literally repent, and we enter into what John the Baptist was saying by his invitation, where he said, right there in Matthew 3.8 and Luke 3.8, bear fruit worthy of repentance. He's not saying through your repentance, you'll become worthy. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, start with repentance. Well, you say, what do you mean repentance? Repentance from your wicked self. Because you are inherently, utterly wicked without Jesus. And when you acknowledge that, you, by acknowledging that, you look up instead of down like Cain did, you no longer define, self-define and become angry and sulky and sullen and rebellious and blaming your brother and blaming God and divulging yourself from all relationship and all responsibility for broken relationship. And you surrender on your knees and you look up and you see Jesus and you realize his wounds were for me. His blood is for me. He loves me. I'm full of his love. Oh, I'm just so sorry for all of my wickedness. I'm sorry for hiding. I'm sorry for my shame. I'm sorry for my control mechanisms. I'm sorry for blaming. I'm sorry for rebellion. I'm sorry that I've thought it's everyone else's fault when really I'm the screw up. And I'm so thankful that you came for me in the midst of my screw up and you loved me. And I surrender to your love.
And I say, yes. Do you say I am? I'm just as incapable of knowing the worth of a diamond as a pig is. But you're not. You know the difference between a diamond and a seed pod. And you saw this diamond in the mud and the pig poop of the pig pen. And your eyes and your mind and your heart as my creator in infinite worth saw the worth of yourself in me somehow. I thank you for that grace. I thank you for that love. (laughs) And would you please, from this moment on, help me to love me the way you love me and help me to love my wife the way you love my wife. Help me to love my kids the way you love my kids. Help me to become an amazing dad. Only not I, but you, daddy, in me. Help me to be an amazing pastor, not I, but the pastor Jesus in me. And suddenly, we're all on the same level ground at the foot of the cross. And we're not trying to be better than each other. And we're bearing the fruit of repentance. And we're able to look at someone whose skin color is different to our own and realize God made them like that. And he thinks they're darn handsome. And he thinks they're very, very beautiful and very, very good looking just the way they are. And actually, if John could see every tribe tongue in heaven, maybe we'll actually look like ourselves forever, only in a new body. But maybe we'll have all the traits that somehow God knew in his infinite wisdom would make us a love gift to the world. Somehow he'll carry those traits over in that new body. After all, his feet are like polished bronze. Last time I looked, that means he sounds an awful lot like my friends I grew up with in Nigeria. And as I've said many times, you're going to have to go a very long way when you get to heaven. That's the new heaven and the new earth to find someone that wasn't actually born and made in China. Originally, because there's over 300 million born again Chinese Christians now. And then you wonder why China is a blessed country. I'm not endorsing the Chinese government. I'm telling you, God loves the Chinese people because they love him. Let's stand, everybody. See, the bear, when we bear the fruits of repentance, Bearing the fruit of repentance means that you never, ever, ever again self-define, self-derive your worth. And because you don't self-define and self-derive your worth from the rest of your life, you now can bestow the worth, the infinite worth of Jesus upon and into every human being that you ever meet, most especially the ones that irritate you the most because you have to spend the most time with them, called your husband who drives you nuts. At least, I've been married 32 years and I'm very convinced that it's a miracle that my wife has not gone completely nuts. 
See, your self-worth will never tell you you're that good. But your Jesus-worth will make you know you're good now. Because he's good. And he makes you good. And he's, if he's good in me, he's good in Patrick. Patrick, come here. See, if I could have been a Nigerian, I'd like to hope I would have looked a lot like Patrick. (laughs) Who's one of my favorite people in the world. I looked at him and loved him. The moment I saw him and his wife, Marie, now they have their little Christian. She's so beautiful. Is it Christina or Christine? Christina. Yeah, Christina. In Christ. My prayer for each of us is that after today, you'll be able to look like a man who looks like me and love me because you see Jesus. And my prayer is that after today, you'll be able to look like a man, look like Patrick. You'll be able to look at Patrick and love, love a man who looks like Patrick because you see Jesus. And if you have a problem with either of us, you have a big problem with Jesus. But don't worry, you don't have to be Cain any longer. You can be better than Abel even. And you can love with Jesus' love because you found your worth in him instead of your own dumb gifts. I don't think there's anything much worse than racism. I don't think that there's much that grieves God more than racism. And I think that racism is exactly why Jesus went to the cross. And by the way, he was brown. He was Jewish. He was not American. It's time to truly let go of you and stop trying to see you in everyone else and truly start seeing Jesus in you and Jesus in everyone else. Amen. And if you would like that, come out here to the front and just come and just take a moment with God. Put your lunch to one side for a minute. Your lunch hasn't really helped you that much on a Sunday compared to these kinds of moments. Just come on up. See, what Justin said to me is going to change my life forever. Cain didn't realize how much God loved him because Cain was trying to define himself by his gift. Come on right up, come right up. And because he was so fixated on his gift and who he could be and what he could bring to God and make God like him and be impressed with him and show God that he's better than his brother was the very thing that blinded him to the truth that God loved him because God was still with him. And even though God rejected his gift, God never rejected Cain. 
And if Cain had surrendered to the one who's standing right there with him, he would have received his love and he would have never murdered Abel. And Abel would have had a whole race on earth. But instead he murdered him and murdered all of Abel's posterity. So guys, let's change the South from the inside out. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. I thank you that the very person of Jesus in us and with us is the revelation that love always accepts us, that we belong to you. I thank you that the presence of Jesus in us, the presence of love, takes all our insecurities and fears and turns them into you're always with us and we'll never be abandoned. And I thank you that your power of love is rooted in your goodness and there's no evil that can ever overcome your goodness. Just going to ask the prayer ministry team to make their way around everybody, and yeah. I just want you to rend, rend your heart with God, and let Him help you to see what He'd like you to see today. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.